going through this book, and incidentally, the first couple of verses in chapter 12 really tie into chapter 11. Or it says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you, ha- when you say I have no pleasure in them. Um, and so he, he really is playing on what he's writing in. He's really playing in ch- the first part of chapter 12 on what he wrote in chapter 11. But we're, we'll cover that a little more next week. That's a preview for you, some of you guys to blow off this ushering stuff. No, I'm kidding. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll, yeah, some of, the, some of the folks will not be here next week because they will be ushering because there's this event that's happening out at the rodeo grounds where you're taking these perfectly good peaceful bulls and irritating them by putting a human being on their back. And so it's a bull riding thing. So anyway, but we will have SETI. So we'll be here next week um, for those who want to come out. So... This idea of cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Uh, Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now, I I, I thought about this saying, okay, what does that mean to you? Um, But in wisdom literature, it can mean some different things to different people. My opinion of this, and not everybody agrees with my opinion of this, is that there can be more than one interpretation of this. Now, the Jews would believe that. They, that's what the, the Midrash is all about. Uh, ten Jews, one room, 12 different opinions when they come out, right? So, but they had a, a, like a, a fourfold means of interpreting Scripture that were all valid even at the same time. But when you look at this in the plain context, I have no idea. I, uh, cast your bread upon the water, and, and, and what does that mean? So I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions. How's that? You, uh, you might like them. You might not like them. You might have one of your own that you may want to share tonight, and which would be fine with me. Um, but it's, it's really kind of this idea as we go into this chapter, there's 10 verses. One commentator put it as his heading, life is an adventure we're called to live by faith. And, and I think that message is brought out here. If anything else, we're called to live by faith when we encounter passages like this that really, we don't really have a reference towards. So, um, what is he talking about here? There's this idea of a couple of different interpretations, all right? The, tra- the traditional interpretation of cast your bread upon the waters, which is from Jerome. Jerome was the one who um, translated the Old Testament into a formalized Latin text. It's called the Vulgate. Now, he used Aramaic text. He used Greek text. He used Hebrew text. They actually even used some Latin text 
that were already in existence, and he kind of formalized um, um, the Old Testament. And like I said, it's called the Vulgate. So it's another translation of the Old Testament. I don't have a copy. I'm not probably going to get a copy. Um, Jerome was the one who baptized Constantine. So that's, that takes you back to the 4th century. Um, he believed this, but also it's found in the Targum, which is a collection of Jewish midrash. In other words, you have these discussions uh, that are, that are kind of gathered up. And it's interesting about Hebrew literature because you, you see a lot of that. Now, for instance, um, is the book of Psalms one book or how many books? Is it 150 books? Is it five books? Is it one book? Well, technically it's all the above. It's a collection of really 150 different songs that can be read and the I, I use the term standalone. You, they start and end um, on their own. But they're also in a collection of five different books. You'll see that if you, if you read it through in your Bible. Um, and so the Targum is kind of like that. Um, and so what they interpreted the casting your bread upon the water, and I tried, but I could not find any reason for why they believe this, but I'm going to throw it out there for you anyway. They, they looked at it as uh, giving alms or giving to the poor. Casting your bread upon the water um, is giving to the poor, giving alms, and you will find it after many days. Now, are there Proverbs... And what I mean by Proverbs are, is there writings, are there verses in the book of Proverbs that talk about giving to the poor? Yeah, yes, there are, okay. Um, and, and really, he who gives to the poor, it says you do what? You lend to the Lord. So uh, this is a possibility, but this would be a first in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because the, the book of Ecclesiastes is a lot of it, it and I haven't, really, I haven't really hit on this really hard, but a lot of it is really concerned about justice. Although part of the concept of justice is giving to people their equal due. Giving to people their equal due. Not only just their due, but their equal due as well. And so um, that's the possibility. Um, but how do you get this idea of letting bread go upon the water is still is kind of beyond me. And I looked and could not find any other explanation for why Jerome and why in the Targum they would view this passage or this verse that way. Um, so the second one is it's basically an admonishment of how you're to handle your wealth. This is another view. I'm not saying I even agree with this, all right? It's how you handle your wealth. And what you have here is this idea of diversification, um, where you 
put your money in different accounts or different investments. And that is the interpretation of verse 2 where it says, Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now that makes sense. But what about the bread? Okay. On the water. Um, along with that, it's this idea of filling ships with grain and shipping it off, uh, being a merchant, which we see this in the book of First Kings uh, with uh, Solomon. He builds a temple and then he... He, he builds essentially this, uh, like an, almost like an armada. And he has King Hiram put his people on board ship with these, these people that were slaves of Solomon, and they taught them how to handle the ship in, in the open seas. And uh, it's in 1 Kings, uh, Kings chapter 9, uh, verses 26 through 28. We, I won't take the time to turn there. But... Uh, because Solomon amassed great wealth, did he? Didn't he? And it tells us in 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 First Kings, um, I want to say chapter ten. I, I I forgot to, I believe to type it in, but it said that Solomon only drank out of uh, vessels of gold. And because silver was not even valued during the time of Solomon. It wasn't even considered a precious metal. Nobody bothered with it. Um, he, you know, part of his throne, remember he had six lions of solid gold. Can you imagine how much that would have cost today? Uh, and I met, you know, whatever happened to it, I don't know, I bet it ended up in Babylon or parts of it melted and all of that. But, um, so, I mean, he was incredibly wealthy. So is he using this as a metaphor, this idea of casting your bread upon the water to, and then give a serving to seven and eight to, to not only engage in international trade, but to diversify in your investments. Now, that's, that's easily written That's easily written. I'm going to ask a question here to make you think. Uh, that's easily written if you're King Solomon who has all this money. But what about us? Or is there a spiritual application in it? I think there may be more than one. Do you see any? Went to the well one time too often on that one, huh? No. I mean, I, th I think it's hard. Uh, I think it's hard to extract from this. I, I, I think when you read this, here's the question I have for you. When you read this, do you stop and think about it? Should, somebody should have written Selah right after these first two verses. You know what Selah means, right? It means stop and think about it, right? Yeah, it's a pause. And... Is there a spiritual application in the interaction, the trading, if you will, or even giving of alms? 
Um, what's that? Yeah. Uh, that 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 could actually work. As you started talking, you got clearer and clearer in your your view on what you were reading. You kind of started out a little fo foggy. Notice that, and then she got clearer and clearer. Yeah. It's it's okay to say works, because did James not say works? You say you have faith, and I have works. I will show you my faith by my works, right? Um, but I, I think part of it, and, and I didn't mean to say that to pick on you, Cindy, at all, but I, I did mention that because this does take a little bit of unwrapping. It does take a little bit of further thought. Well, what is this really talking about? It, you know, as far as diversity or almsgiving or I mean, there, you know, there are a lot of different ways that I'm thinking of that I'm thinking, don't say that. That's probably not a good one. Uh, um, I've had a few of them that have in my head as I'm sitting here. It's plural. You have singular. Uh-oh, here comes Brian with this Palm Pilot. Actually, it's your phone. Where are you going to go look for us? Well, it's, it's interesting that one, what's that? Okay. Well, you can go there. Okay, so we're going to take a break. For so, and, and again, that's, but part of that, here's, here's the problem with when you're reading some of these, because... There is so much unknown of what motivated the inspiration. Because the inspiration is always within the context of the one who's being inspired. So you, you kind of want to keep it, you know, that's why pa Pennsylvania might work. Palestine, I don't know, maybe. You might be right, you know, on that. Um, and, and it's... Uh, The Septuagint, send your bread upon the face of the water, singular. Uh, for in a great number of days you will find it. Give a portion to the seven and even to the eight. For you do not know what wicked thing will be upon the earth. So that's kind of spreading it out just in case. That idea of to the seven and even to the eight. There could be 15. It could be just talking about eight. You see this type of usage of numbers a few times in the Old Testament. You see it repeated in the book of Revelation with the reference to the horns. Well, actually, it's, it's, I still think it's a reference to the horn. Daniel, we looked at it last week, Daniel 7, right? Well, you, had, you had how many horns? Ten. And then what happened? You had an eleventh who uprooted three which means now you have seven original plus one, which is an eighth. So 
I'm not huge on numerology because I think you can go in all kinds of, I'll just say interesting directions with numerology. But I think there's also, it's not something that we want to completely ignore either. And, and whether that's a tie-in, which would be, if it is a tie-in, it would be more prophetic because who came first, Solomon or Daniel? Solomon did. Okay. So, um, so then last interpretation. Totally is Cindy, it's going to blow your, your take on this completely out of the water. But that's okay, too, because it's just an interpretation. Doesn't mean you're wrong. Doesn't mean it's right. You know, it's just another interpretation. Is, is, uh, it could refer mainly to the, uh, the and it kind of goes here later in the chapter. And, uh, but it's the water, bread in the water is a metaphor for doing something really senseless. Doing something senseless. Now, or risky. Now, I, I thought about, and I wasn't going to do this, okay? But I thought about getting one of those little kitty wading pools, filling it full of water, putting it right here, and then bringing in a loaf of bread, and let's all throw some bread in the water and see what happens. You know what would happen. It, it would just dissipate. It would, it, yeah, it would, it would dissipate. Um, um, But that's beside the point. But at least you'd have some bread in there. And so, but what it is, it, it, it's, it's essentially, it, it's this metaphor for, for being senseless. The bread dissolves. But then you will find it after many days. So to me, that, that, even that interpretation didn't really ring well with me. But I threw it in here just to have another one, to, you know, just to give you another perspective on this. Verse 3 is where this would render a little bit more support of someone doing something uh, senseless. And where it says, if the clouds are full of rain and they empty themselves on the earth and a tree falls to the south or the north in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. You haven't weighed in yet. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Reverend Bell. But uh, <laughs> there's a reason for that, right? Yeah, and, and exactly. Okay, so they they will empty themselves. Um, this is in a this is written in in a in a poetic form in the Hebrew. It's not evident in the English. Uh, but it's written in a in a poetic form where you have the the the, the clouds and the falling tree, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and even the wind. Um, he observes the wind will not sow, and he regards the clouds will not reap. Okay, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What it's, I think of essentially what it's saying because um, if you're lazy, you're going to be hungry. 
Well, I, I'm looking out there, and it's windy, so I better not plant the seed because it's all going to blow away. Right? This is very practical, isn't it? No? Okay, well, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, and, and why wouldn't you be? How's that? And, um, but he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Well, if I'm worried about too much rain, I'm not going to go out and reap because I'll get wet. I mean, that's one possibility. Or I just want to watch the wind. Um, but notice... Verse 4, which still ties back in particularly into the first part of verse 3, there's no productivity happening. There's no activity. You have the tree that falls and, uh, to the north or the south or the north in a place where a tree falls, there it shall lie. Right? I almost thought of if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. Uh, hopefully you're not going there with us. So, and that could be. Uh, what I'm looking at, too, the idea with the wind, uh, look in verse 5. Yeah. Watches the wind. Yeah. He's watching the wind. So he, he's he's... Has a, a, it could be considered even a, a, this, this idea of expectation. I mean, what direction do you want to go in it? It's probably part of it is how you're wired, right? And, uh, uh, but, and, and that, so, you know, where you're at with that, Brian, that, that could possibly be it. I, I look at verse 5, and as you, as you do not know what the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Now this, this phrase where it says in, in or, or how the bones grow in the wind, um, excuse me, in the womb. Um, there's a possible hint to this um, in the Hebrew. And it's also like kind of asking, it's implying, I think, the question of, of, of what is the way of the child in the womb. And it leads to the question, although it's not uh, ex explicitly stated here, it does lead to the question of when because the bones refer to the unborn child. That, that in the Hebrew, that can refer to the unborn child. All right, uh, you're, hey, give me this second. Um, when does the soul enter the unborn child? And that was the thing that the Hebrews wrestled with. Again, no x-ray machines. No, to me, this is, this is very, very difficult stuff. Re remember that huge ponderosa that was about to blow over? Those other guys cut it down, and we went over there. And I mean, this thing was huge. Uh, and it took, what, four or five of us to buck it up? And uh, it ended up in our stoves. And so <laughs> we stayed warm because of it. But uh, instead of just letting it lie. Um, the, the thing about the, and this is where I was drawn in by the idea of, of part of this refers to the lazy person, Proverbs 19.24. Which I, I, every time I read it, I just think it's really 
kind of almost like a funny proverb. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, and he will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Now, the, the physical illustration of that is it's almost it borders on ridiculous. But in a spiritual sense, how many people do we know? Are, yeah, how, how many people? That too. But how many people do we know are like that? Of course, they're all in my last church, not here. But anyway. Um, and then Proverbs 24, 4. I'm sorry, 20, verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. So, again, that's just one way of looking at some of these verses. Right, Brian? So, and it could be an act of wisdom. But it's also talking about going to what uh, Reverend Bill said. Can we predict the weather, especially here in Central Oregon? I mean, you didn't say this, but I'm, I'm going there with you. Can we really predict the weather? And even less then. They didn't have, they didn't have uh, KCRA News, uh, Channel 3, with uh, Matt Dagenhart giving us the weather report back then. Um, do we un- did, they, did we have x-rays? Or any way of looking into the womb. And, and here you have part of this, again, this is more of, of, of Hebrew Midrash thinking, is, is trying to understand some of the mysteries of God. And I, I think, and see, this is where the line gets real thin. Because it's one thing to try to understand the mysteries of God. while retaining the understanding that God is sovereign. And he's going to do what he wants. And, um, I mean, there's even other views that besides God's sovereign, I don't even want to go, go into this. Yeah, I don't want to go into this. Uh, I'll just touch on it and keep going. You know, I won't show, ask for a show of hands. How many believe that Katrina was judgment on America? Don't answer it, please. And, but I've known people, they were just almost rabid. This, this is what happens. I'll explain that to a four, little four-year-old who just lost their home. And does God deal the same? Is there precedent for that? Yes, in the Old Testament. But does God deal with the nations today as he dealt with Israel? Or even the nations that he raised up to use as a judgment against Israel? Is God dealing differently with humankind than he did back then? I think to some degree, yes, and to some degree, no. And so how do we slice that? So even in the realm of the unknown, and I think there's a whole lot more here that we don't know than we do know. And what did Paul say to the Corinthians about it? I know in part. I prophesy in part. One day I will know as I am known. So we, 
all these questions, some that I threw out to you tonight, you've got to just handle them carefully. And yet, the Jews were very, uh, the rabbis particularly, in the Midrash, they were very much interested in, in wanting to get a little deeper, understand these things a little bit fuller. Um, Verse 6, I think we're going to get done with the chapter tonight. This will be a first. Um, it, well, it, like I said, we don't want to, we don't want to, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, does that not, does that not, um, speak again to God's sovereignty. I think it does to a degree. Yeah, I think, I think it does to a degree. Um, but I, I, I think it's, I want to go back to what Bill said. Um, do we all read into Scripture? I think everybody does to a degree, to a degree. I know particular groups that they do, they do that with whole books of the Bible. I'll let you figure out who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about and what book I'm talking about for that matter. And I had a particular way of understanding the Bible and that was reinforced to me growing up. I didn't know any other way to do it. So I went to California Baptist College, and then I heard somebody have a different view on some things. I thought, that's not what I learned. And the problem never, and I, and, but even, here's the thing, Bill. I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Even when we let Scripture speak, I'm going I'm to throw something out to you where I don't have a good answer, so that's not fair. But even when we let Scripture speak, or say we do, and hopefully we always do, and is that not the goal? Um, I have a very good book that I could recommend that really reinforces the inspiration of Scripture and how God inspires us through his word. But we have to be careful that we don't get in, caught up in that mix. And we don't allow God to speak to us because of our presuppositions to understanding the Bible, which we all have. Ryan and I have different views on some of this stuff. Part of it is because we think very differently. And then we have conversations later and we realize we don't think as differently as we thought we did. Uh, but I still want to hold to the, that. yes, I think, yeah, you're okay with that, right? Um, and And so ideally, yes, we just let Scripture speak. But the real question is not whether we, I, the real question, I think, is what's going on with our ears. Does that make sense? How do we hear it? And to me, that's where it's always 
difficult because we kind of cloud the waters. Um, what this might be saying. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's how I like to do it. Now, when I read the Bible, my mind automatically, it's like a default mode. I automatically start thinking of similar passages. Hopefully, that's letting Scripture interpret Scripture. It might be letting my bias of Scripture interpret Scripture. That's a possibility. Yeah, everybody has a bias. You know, I... I like, I've got a friend of mine, he's, he's taught through Daniel, now he's teaching through Revelation, and he's convinced you should teach Daniel before you teach Revelation, and that it changes everything. Um, and there's a lot of Old Testament, there are more Old Testament references in the book of Revelation than there are in any other Old New Testament book. And the passage should be viewed in light of those Old Testament scriptures that are being referred to. I think there's like over, I'll get the number wrong, so I won't say it. But anyway, um, two minutes. We're going to make it. <laughs> Truly the light is sweet and pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years, now he's starting to open up into the next chapter here. All right. Truly the light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Now, is that not encouraging? How would you let that speak to you? Yeah, I think so. And he's... It, it still, yeah, it still is not a guarantee. And it will. You know, it, it's, it's, it's saying, too, I think wisdom is not fail-safe, but the alternative is worse. You had something or you're just waving at me? Okay, wasn't sure. Um, and so now he's, he's starting to set us up for Brian's favorite chapter next week. Um, chapter 12. We've got to get through the first 12 verses before we get to 13. <laughs> so remember, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. What a way to end. <laughs> what a way to end. But it, it's, you know, I... It, I, I thought about this. I thought, gosh, I'm, and I'm reading this to, with the exception of Brian, uh, I'm reading this to a, a group of, of older adults. 
Well, maybe Brian's in No, not really. Um, and it's like you can't go back and undo. You can't go back and undo some of the foolish and stupid things that we probably all did growing up. With the exception of a few of us that didn't do any stupid or foolish things. Um, but do we learn from them? What you do today affects you 20 years from now. It does. Um, but do you truly learn from the bad things that you've done or the mistakes you've made? I guess that's a better way to say it. One of my best teachers, some of my best teachers have been bad examples. And they, they, their bad example preached louder to me because I saw the, the bad fruit of their labor. Um, learn, I don't want to be like that. I don't have to, you know, I, I want to do something different than that. Um, so, again, he's talking to young people, but then, he, again, he's, he's, he's bringing it forward. Um, and it's also even for, for us that are older, walk, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. And that's what I tell people. You know, all the, all the controversy that, you know, what, even 20, 25 years ago, things that are acceptable in the church today were not acceptable in the church back then. All right. So I, I don't, example, homosexuality. And, and to me, that's, I was, I was with a group in my, my doctorate. Most of them thought it there wasn't a problem. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And uh, yeah. Um, and, and my thought is, and I tell people, I've told a few people this, and they don't like it. Do what you want, but be accountable. Do what you want, but recognize you will answer to God. You better come up with some good answers. And, you, and you, you, better, you better work through what the Scripture is saying about these things. If you're going to go, con what I believe is very contrary and very clearly contrary to Scripture, not just in, in, in that aspect, but in other things as well. If you, want, if you want to buck the system and go contrary to Scripture, you better have some great eisegesis and exegesis um, because be not deceived. God is not mocked, but whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that's part of what he's saying here in verse 9. You know, do what you want, but you will give an account for it. And that's, that's, that's kind of a harsh, I think that's a little harsh. But I also think after arguing myself blue in the face with certain people over certain issues, that's the best I can give them. Unless I want to open up Galatians chapter 1 and read to them out of Galatians chapter 1. If any man preaches another gospel to you other than what I preach, let him be accursed. The, the translation on that really should be he can go to hell. That's what he's really saying. And then he says it a second time. 